Jason Everett has spoken on six continents to more than one million people about the virtue of chastity, which is what we're talking about today on the podcast. Jason, who earned his master's in theology from Franciscan University of Steubenville, has appeared as a guest on Fox News, MSNBC, and the BBC, and now, above average, the podcast for big families. If this is your first time listening to the show, thank you for checking us out. To learn more about Above Average and who we are, visit AboveAverageShow.com or listen to the introduction episode, which we call Episode Zero. And if you like interviews focused on big family life, be sure to check out some of our other shows with guests, like personality expert Chris Licurdo and Jenny Martin from SouthernSavers.com. But in this episode, I sit down with Jason to talk about his family and how to teach the importance of chastity to your family when you've got a bunch of kids. And we even discuss some of Jason's favorite books and Everett family traditions. By the way, he is a father of six. I do want to mention that Jason and I, uh, we discuss the birds and the bees in this interview. It's nothing graphic or distasteful, but if you're with younger children, you may want to listen later. This is episode 29, so if you want a recap of this episode or links to Jason's resources, just visit AboveAverageShow.com slash 29. Again, that's AboveAverageShow.com slash 29. Lastly, a correction. I mentioned during the interview that Jason was on his way to speak to 1,000 kids. It was actually 1,400 kids for my alma mater before speaking later in the day at a local public high school and then going out of town for more engagements in western Kentucky. Jason is a busy guy. And now, without further ado, my interview with Jason Everett. Well, hello, hello. You are listening to Above Average. This is the podcast for big families. I'm Lance Osborne, and as you know, this is the podcast all about the craziness and the beauty of big family life. Our goal with the show, our goal with Above Average, and you hear this every week, every time you listen, it's to raise strong families, raise big, strong families. And we want to try to have fun, certainly as parents, and not go insane while doing it. As you heard in the intro for today's show, Jason Everett is our guest, and Jason is directly in line with our goal. He's all about helping us teach our kids how to start down the right path in life. So, Jason, thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks for making some time for it while you're here. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. It's a privilege. It's a pleasure to have you. You are... You're a rock star, dude. People people know your name, whether you're, I'm sure you need to play this the right way, right? You don't want it to be all about you. And I've watched enough of your content. I've, I've, I'm familiar with enough of your stuff that you're, you're very humble. And it's awesome to see that humility in action. But at the same time, people know your name. It's, it's really cool. Yeah, well, I just try to keep in mind people know the devil's name too, but that doesn't give them any points. So there you go. You just there keep you go. yourself in check. So Jason is here in town, here in Owensboro, Kentucky. Uh, he spoke last night. And here's the response on Twitter. I don't know if you checked this stuff, but I did. I was like, okay, how did it go? I had to miss it. I was actually at a baptism last mm-hmm. night. So there's my uh, get out of talk free card. There you go. Uh, but here are a few tweets from last night, two from teens and one from a parent. So the teen said, amazing talk from Jason Everett last night, really life-changing. Somebody else said, just got out of Jason Everett's chastity talk. It was absolutely amazing. Smiley face emoji. <laughs> And then a parent said, awesome talk. I learned so much about the science of it all, which is interesting. And I'll share your message and save it for my young children. God bless you. So I'm sorry it didn't go better last oh, night. Oh, no. We, that's, we had that's the, rough. the nuns here praying for them. So right. you get a lot of intercession behind it. it works, yeah. So. Yeah. It, it's nice to have somebody in your corner, right? Yeah, I'd say. That's good. So, uh, Jason, like I said, the show's called Above Average. And it's called Above Average not to be snotty. You know, not to say, oh, the poor people who only have one or two kids. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, We're better than them. It's not that. It's just about the statistical fact that we have 
more kids than most people do. Mm-hmm. We are literally above the average. You've got an above average family yourself. We Tell do. us we a little have, bit we about have, uh, We've got six kiddos at home, uh, two up in heaven. And so the oldest is 11, the youngest is seven months. So, you know, as they say, whenever we go out in public, you got your hands full. We absolutely do. What's your response to that? Uh, better full than empty. <laughs> you know? But I mean, we get all those all yours. You know, we, we, right. we get all the comments, we get all the stares, but. You know, you know, there's such joy. I mean, I remember when we had our last baby, I was in the delivery room, and we were just praying, and there's a passage in the scriptures that, oh, the happiness of the man whose quiver is full of these arrows, speaking of the analogy right. of, of children and sons born to you in your youth. And, you know, we, I was just weeping, you know, after, after the delivery room, just holding this new boy in my hand, just, oh, the happiness of the man. And it's such a joy that the world doesn't know when they get all scared if you have more than one or two. Because, like, once we had... You know, our second one, people are like, well, you got two now. You're finished, right? And then we had our first girl, and they're like, well, you got your girl, you got your boys. Like, You're you guys done. are done, right? right? And I'm like, yeah, I've collected all the genders. I can stop procreating now. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? So, Yeah, you're not just punching out your card. Yeah. Like trying to complete it. Yeah. Get the whole set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. What does a typical day look like in your house? I know you spend a lot of time on the road. You guys have probably... Um, an atypical work life compared to mm-hmm. to most folks, but is there a typical day when you guys are back home? When when the Everett's are at home base, yeah. what does that look like? Yeah, for y'all? well, well, I travel nine days a month and no more than two nights at a time. We're extremely strict on that, so we nice. will not travel ever more than that because we just found that's a real healthy balance. Because you know, otherwise, either my wife will kill my kids or my kids will kill my wife, and both of those would be detrimental to the ministry and the family life in general. So we found that's a good healthy balance to stick by, but. You know, like any large family, it's organized chaos. It sure. is. I mean, you, you get up sometimes when you want to get up, you know, maybe. And the, but most of the time the kids are up, you know, some, some kids throwing up or something's <laughs> going on and you're out of bed far before you want to be. Um, you know, or you'll get up and let the wife sleep in for a little bit. And, you know, we've got, you know, breakfast and we do we go to church each day as a family. We go to like morning mass together at about oh, an wow. eight, eight o'clock mass. And we get back and we every hold, day, every day. Yeah, we go to um, Saturdays aren't morning mass. That's the day we can't go. Sure. But other than that, uh, six days a week, and um, and then we get back from there and we'll whip up some breakfast, and then uh, we homeschool the kids, and uh, and so we've got that going on, and um, you know that only takes you know four hours a day or something like that, and then you know we've got sports, you know, little league basketball practices going on, that going on, and uh, homework. So I mean, it's it's a full day, you know, by by the time night rolls around. Everybody's ready for bed. <laughs> there you go. I bet you, I bet mom and dad appreciate yeah. that, right? Yeah. So I was going to ask about that, about the activities. Mm-hmm. So when you've got a lot of kids, this is something that we dedicated a whole episode to: mm-hmm. uh, sports, extracurricular activities, piano lessons, any of that stuff. What does that look like? Do you guys have any uh, maybe restrictions or limits? Are you like, hey, you can do this one thing, and this is this is your deal. You are the soccer player, and that's the way it works. Because once you start spreading yourself so thin, mm-hmm. there's only so many places that mom and dad can be at one time, yeah. right? You know, you, you mm-hmm. can't be everywhere. You yeah. can't shuttle your kids to six different soccer games at the yeah. same time, that kind of thing. What does that look like? How have you guys made that work? Well, we, you know, there's typically four sports seasons throughout the year, winter, fall, spring, summer. And so we'll let one or two kids play per season. That's it. And they can kind of pick and they can rotate. Okay, this is your basketball season and your soccer season. Okay. And we won't do like the really competitive traveling leagues kind of thing because, you know, that we fell into that this last summer, um, you know, where I wanted to get my boy in a little league baseball league. And I didn't realize I was signing up for more of a competitive league and by the time we've already committed to the team, it's like, you know, you got to practice a couple hours a week. But then games were two games every Sunday, two hours long each, sometimes with two hours between the games. And you have to get there 45 minutes early and it's a half hour away. 
So you wake up, you got to get out the door at 6.30 in the morning, you're not back till 2.30 in the afternoon on a Sunday. And it was nuts. And we're like, we are never doing this That's again. Whole day. You know, we, we yeah. wanted to teach them that once you commit to something, you do what you commit to. You commit like to your that. team, you stick with it, doesn't matter if it's hard or not. You commit to what you say you're going to do. But <laughs> we're committing to what we said we're going to do. We're not doing that again. So <laughs> so now we're just doing the rec league kind of things where it's, you know, it's just a one-hour game, maybe one-hour practice a week, and that's it. Yeah. And it, you know, teaches them some athleticism and some sportsmanship without Teamwork, getting obsessive right. over it. And so, you know, we just ask the kids, what do you want to do? Do you want baseball, ice skating, sewing, and, you know, and then we just kind of support whatever they want to do while keeping it in balance. Your wife, Kristalina, mm-hmm. did you guys set out to have a lot of kids? When you got married, was this a, hey, we're going to have a big family. We're going to have this, you, you mentioned the quiverful kind yeah. of concept. Did you guys set out to do that? Or has it just happened as, you know, a natural outlet of just being open to life? Yeah, well, we we, we wanted a big family. My, my grandpa, he and his wife had uh, 10 kids and their names were Joseph and Mary. So it was kind of a real neat arrangement. We, you know, we both come from relatively small families. I've got one brother, one sister. She has only one sister. And so when we got married, we wanted to have 10 kids. We wanted to have a big family. Um, and so we've been open to life and have been blessed. Now, before we got married, you know, there were questions if we'd be able to have kids. She suffered something called endometriosis where the doctor's like, you know, we don't know if you're ever going to be able to have kids. And mm-hmm. we went to a, a wonderful doctor by the name of Dr. Thomas Hilgers based out in Nebraska at Creighton. And, and he was awesome. And he took care of her. And we were... I mean, she ovulates like eight times a month or something now where it's like, it's just, you know, you just wow. walk in the room pregnant, you know? So, uh, you know, so we've been really blessed, um, you know, with the, the gift of, of life with the kids. And, we've, uh, we've got five kids, mm-hmm. but we also have four, four and under. Yeah. So I kind of get the whole idea of uh-huh. walking in the room and Hey, guess what? Yeah. Yeah. No. So we're, we're another one. you know, we're, we're blessed in that regard for sure. But you know, um, just the, the openness to life. I mean, the, children are the supreme gift of marriage and we live in such a contraceptive culture that we fail to realize it sometimes that you know people just live with this mentality that you know you don't have too many kids you'll kind of lose your freedom but you know freedom exists for the sake of love it exists to be given away and in the end what else am i going to do with my life except give it to somebody else right pass it on mm-hmm. that's great so think about your kids if you could send one back which one would it be no, oh, it no, no, what day I'm, the week I'm it kidding. Is. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. What would you say is the most surprising thing about big families that most people don't know? Um, I would say just the most surprising thing about big families, I think the joy of it, because a lot of people just see the cross of it and they sure. think, oh my goodness, why would, my wife was in the grocery store, Costco with all the kids with her and she had all of them at once in the grocery store and some woman was with another woman looked over to my wife and said loud enough clearly for my wife to hear, why would anyone want to do that with their, to their life? Goodness gracious. And, you know, Crystal just kind of took the high road and, you know, just, mm, okay, let's get, you know, keep going. Let's not, gotta, not get into it or take any swings at her. Um, but, you know, the crosses are evident, but the joys can somewhat be hidden. Um, and so just the, the joy, that the love that these kids give you is the most authentic love that you've ever received in your life. I mean, their hugs, their kisses, their blessings. And, you know, one thing that I would throw out there just as a suggestion to family, not a, not a spiritual thing, but just a great gift to your own family Whenever your kid says something hilarious or obnoxious or whatever, and you think you're going to remember that five years from now, take out your smartphone and immediately write down in there, record what this child said, how old they were and what the context was. 
I've started doing this. So anytime my children say anything hilarious, I now have a little notepad in my iPhone and I put it in there immediately and then I transfer it later to a Word document on my computer and I have probably a dozen pages of the most hilarious stuff that's come out of my children's mouths. And they're always begging me, oh, read us the funny stories. And, and so now, you know, when they get older, married or graduated, I'll have a book of the, of the most hilarious things that have come out of a children's mouth that you could ever even imagine. So do that for your family, and you'll create cool this idea. volume yeah. of the most beautiful things that, that come out of their minds. You know, in Mass, you know, you know, we're praying, and uh, the priest holds up the chalice and said, and Jesus took the chalice. And then my son's like, Dad, we've got to rescue it. <laughs> you know? I'm like, no, 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 Jesus didn't take the chalice. He, he didn't steal took it. The, you know, you know. Yeah, but just the random stuff that you can just get down. Um, so just do that for your family, and you'd be amazed uh, the stuff that you'd otherwise forget that ends up being a real treasure for your family. That is a great idea. Yeah. The, I'm so happy you shared that. Yeah, I was holding up my, my baby boy once, and I'm just kind of shaking him, and I, you know, what's better than a baby boy? Nothing's better than a baby boy. And my son piped up. He's like, Dad, um, a circus is actually better than a baby boy. <laughs> And I said, no, no, Colby, ontologically, a, a, a baby boy has greater value than a circus. And he said, Dad, but baby boys poop and a circus doesn't. You know? <laughs> I'm like, okay, got me up. But they have elephants, you know. I was about to say, I'm sure you got a rebuttal <laughs> yeah. in there somewhere. But, they so, but just these little things that you can capture. You know, so so I think what's not known by the world is these just tremendous joys, you know, that, that you don't receive when you're not open to this gift of life. Sure. And I think that's probably a good segue to start talking about your work mm-hmm. with Chastity Project. Even though I appreciate it and I love it, you totally speak our language with the big family stuff. The reason you're here is because you, you've you got this amazing message with Chastity Project. Mm-hmm. Let's get into that. Before we go too deep on it, though, can you clear up some things? We hear chastity, the term mm-hmm. chastity. We hear this a lot alongside purity, alongside abstinence, of course. Can you pull all this together and kind of define these different terms and then define chastity in the sense of Chastity Project, where you guys are going with this? Yeah, the word abstinence just means that a person is abstaining from something. So it really doesn't tell you that much about a person. So if you told me, you know, Bob is abstinent. Okay, well, maybe Bob can't find a date. You know, well, maybe Bob's been dead for 300 years. You know, maybe Bob, you know, is a virtuous man and saving himself for marriage. So it really is just too broad of a concept. And a person could be technically abstinent while involved in all kinds of impure things. You know, I'm looking online at this picture or that picture, but yeah. technically I'm abstinent. Or, you know, I'm doing this and that with my girlfriend, but we're stopping short of that line, so we're abstinent. Um, and so there's there's goodness in it, but we, we need to go a lot further because chastity is a virtue that applies to your sexuality. Virtues like courage or honesty. But it's what it does is it doesn't eliminate our sexual attractions or desires, but it orders them according to the demands of authentic human love. And so it could be synonymous with purity, that it's not just how what I do with my body, it's what I do with my imagination, the movements of my heart, what I do with my eyes, what I do you know, with my imagination, what I'm doing on the computer. So it encompasses the entire human person. And it's a virtue, not just for single people, but for married people, for priests, for nuns, for everybody, it needs to practice this virtue of chastity according to their state of life. And if husband and wives embrace this virtue, which doesn't mean just absolutely obviously in marriage, but the proper use of God's gift of sexuality, then this is something they can transmit to their kids, not so much by what they say, but by how they live. Yeah, dad doesn't have the Sports Illustrated swimsuit magazine sitting around. Mom's not reading Fifty Shades of Grey. You know, there's accountability, and we're all together as a family pursuing this virtue and living a Christian life. And I think if the parents embrace it, the kids are more likely to imitate that. So chastity 
and with what you're speaking about and you speak all the time, it's, it's a lot more than just wagging your finger at people saying, uh, no sex until marriage. Yep. It mm-hmm. goes a lot deeper than that. Right. And so, like I said, you do a lot of speaking, you've written a lot of books. You are a bona fide expert on this topic. Have you seen some breakthrough moments when you're speaking? Are there certain parts of your message where you're like, ah, this clicks. I'm, I'm seeing the light bulb pop on yeah. in the, with the audience. Yeah, well, what I try to do is, because every kid in the audience is in a different place in life. They're struggling with different stuff. And so I really try to hit on as many points as possible, whether it's, you know, I'm the virgin kid and I'm totally embarrassed about this, or, you know, I'm struggling with pornography, or whether it's immodesty or how to start over, or this or that. We really try to hit in topics of homosexuality, this or that. How do we try to address all these major issues in an impactful way for the kids? And then afterwards, I'll tell the kids, if you guys need to hang out and talk, I'll be here for you. And I gave them invitation to high school in New York. The students formed a line seven hours long. And we're there till five o'clock at night, and they're pouring their hearts out to me wow. of the abuse that they've suffered, the different things that they've been through. And so I really just try to, from those conversations, glean where are these kids at, what are they struggling with, so that I can really go to the heart of it and really tackle that in a way that's going to empower these kids to be free to love. So with what you're talking about, like you said, there are all kinds of different people struggling with all kinds of different issues as it relates to elements of chastity. What can we do as parents? What are some of the best ways that we can instill this into our children, not just for the short term, right? I don't want them to have this, this kind of emotional high, the spiritual high. They feel like their eyes are open. And then a week later, they're back in the same thing. Yeah. What can we do for the long term so that this stuff really lands with our kids? Yeah. Well, just a just a quick bullet list of things that you could do. You know, first and foremost is your own interior life of prayer. That's the most important thing. And you may think, oh, I've already been doing that. Well, well, fast as well. Offer up your suffering. That interior life is the most important. I, secondly, I'd throw out there, you know, set the standard high and make it clear. Abstinence until marriage. Not, you know, we want you to be abstinent, but if you're going to do it anyway, at least right. use protection. Don't even go there. Because uh, you don't do that with drinking and drugs. Now, don't don't drink and drive, but if you're going to drink and drive, go on the slow lane of the freeway. You know, we don't do that. Um, thirdly, be a parent first and not a buddy. You know, our kids have enough buddies, but they only got one in mom and dad. You know, stick to your guns. You know, th- fourth, I would say, um, you know, when should they start dating? If the kids start dating in junior high, about 80 to 90% of them lose their virginity by the middle of high school. If they started dating at the age of 16 or older, about 80% are still virgins in the middle of high school. There's wisdom in delaying the onset of dating because when you date someone, it's like getting on a freeway, there's only two exits, breakup and marriage. And if that's the case, then they realize that they can make a better dating decision. I think a couple more points that could be made. One, uh, internet and media safety. You know, make sure you got a filter on that computer. Go to covenanteyes.com for a good internet accountability software program that you could use. Um, other things, don't just give your kids the talk. You know, give them thousands of them. A lot of parents are like, when should I talk to my kid about absence? When should I give them the talk? Like it's this bomb you drop on your kid when he's 12 and it's going to inoculate <laughs> him from lust for the rest of his natural life. They've got to hear about this since they're two or three years old. Not the birds and the bees, but the basic building blocks. And as they go old, this is a conversation. It's not just some big lecture that you give them. You know, and, you know, in closing, just get over your insecurities about talking about this stuff. And mom's got to talk. Dad's got to talk. It can't just be dumped on mom. Well, you're the mother. You're the ethical person around here. You know, you talk to them about this. I mean, dad's got to be speaking as well. And then, you know, and lastly, ultimately to practice that virtue as parents in your own marriage, because your kids aren't always going to obey you, but I think they'll never fail to imitate you. I want to call a spade a spade here. Mm-hmm. With what we're talking about, this is totally countercultural. I mean, since the sexual revolution of the 60s that came up, it seems like everybody's looking for their sexual freedom. They're all, and I put that in quotes, that's air quotes. You can't, yeah. you can't see that because this is a podcast, but those are big air quotes around freedom right there. 
So when we're living a more traditional life and chastity is a part of that, being open to life, that naturally results in a, a lot of big families in a lot of cases. It's so revolutionary for some people to hear us talk about this and talk frankly. And a lot of us, and I, I'm thinking of maybe some specific friends right now, if they hear me talk like this, they are those parents going, ideally, my kid would wait, but it's exactly what you just said, but mm-hmm. use protection. They think we're crazy thinking that our kids actually can do this. Mm-hmm. What can we do as parents? I'm not necessarily saying to convince our peers, our fellow parents mm-hmm. to, to believe in this stuff because you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But what can we do to kind of share our heart on this so that maybe it does open that door? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, it's just to live it out. I mean, because the joy of a, of a family that's living according to God's plan is going to be evident in, in their life. Yeah, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be crosses, there's going to be difficulty, but there's a beauty in there that you can't refute. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we live near neighbors that you maybe only have one kid or two kids and we're done kind of thing, you know, through friendships, they've been like, well, you know, maybe we should have another one. You know, just the friendship has opened their eyes to things that you can tell they're thinking about stuff when they see our six kids running amok in the backyard and they realize they have two and a three-car garage and a pretty nice life. Well, mm, you know, maybe we can maybe we can have another one, you know. So just, just be who you are, to me, is the greatest evangelization thing that you could do. But also, we've got to realize that our perception of the world is going to hell in a handbasket is a bit tainted by the media. I mean, if you think about it, look at the research, the sexual activity Activity rates of American high school students since 1988 have consistently been going down, not up. More teens today, the majority of American high school students are virgins today. Sexual activity rates of boys are going down twice as fast as the girls. Wow. And people hear that and they're like, really? Yeah. Well, I thought I was only virgin in Kentucky. Like, there's another one here? No <laughs> kidding, man. You know, so we, we, we got to realize that the media paints this image that everything's horrible when there's a lot of good stuff happening. And, you know, not to un- undermine or dismiss the fact that there is a lot of crazy stuff going on. There's a, many attacks on the family. But, I mean, let's be honest. A lot of times we want to paint marriage as like this, this fortress, this castle where everything's good and the attacks are on the outside trying to get in. But the greatest attacks on family are inside the family. My selfishness, my pride, you know, my inability to forgive, my lack of selflessness. That's the greatest attack on the family. You know, not some Supreme Court decision. Yeah, I mean, there are some big issues that got to be addressed. But, you know, let's be honest about, like, if we really want to save the family, we've got to save our own marriages and families first. That makes sense. Let's talk about older children. You mentioned those bigger issues. The next real big question that I've got is from Andy. And Andy wanted to know your take on, quote, ways to help kids fight against the temptations on the internet. And I love this part. He said, and also how they can help their friends. You mentioned covenant eyes. You mentioned some filtering stuff. Is there more that we need to be doing though? Yeah. Parents have to become computer literate. I mean, some of them don't even know how to open an email attachment and their kids like hacking into the Pentagon's website for fun after school. Like you got to catch up. You got to learn how to check the history files on your computers. Uh, one of the beautiful things about covenant eyes is it'll not only block the pornographic content on your computers, but on the kids' cell phones as well. It'll send you a report card. And when you install this stuff, don't just tell the kid now, we're putting this on to spy on you. You're like, no, we're putting this on all the family's devices because you need to know what websites mom's looking at. Dad needs to know what websites your daughter's looking at. She should know what websites dad's looking at. We're in this together as a Christian family to hold each other accountable to the principles of the gospel. And that way they realize you're not just doing this big brother thing, staring over their shoulder at them. We're all in this together as a family. And, you know, with, with the young people, 
it's tough because it used to be you had to spend time, money, and effort to see pornography. Now you have to spend time, money, and effort not to see pornography sure. because of the bombardment of the media and the billboards. And we've got to teach the kids not only how not to look at the body, but how to look at the body. Because the solution isn't just turn away. Just And we need to do that to avoid occasions of sin. But when the Bible tells us, you know, avoid your, you know, look away from, you know, this lustful temptation or whatever, you know, there's many precepts in the Old Testament that speak of this. When we're looking away, where are we supposed to be looking at? Are we like, oh, look, a hot air balloon. You know, look at that nice eagle over there. You know, no, we're supposed to be looking in. Okay, what's going on in my heart that when I see that woman's body... I'm instinctively tempted to lust after her instead of seeing her body as an invitation to love. How come God made her body and it said it's very good, but when I see her body, I want to use her as an object for my gratification. Maybe there's something in me that needs to get untwisted, something in me that needs to get healed. So teaching these boys that when you see that woman and you're tempted to lust at her, look back into your own heart and maybe offer a prayer of gratitude. Thank you, God, for making her so beautiful. Teach me how to look at her. So that way we're not spending all our effort and energy teaching them, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look. Right, the constant no. We've got to teach yeah. them how to properly look at the human body. And in that, I think, is the full integration of our sexuality and the real virtue of chastity. One thing I always try to do on the show is just be real. Just be really genuine. So I never want anybody listening to this to think, oh man, he's got it together. Look at him. Or certainly I don't want them to think, oh, he's bragging. He's totally lying through his teeth. That's not what we do on the show. So I I really don't want to give the impression that I've got it together. We're doing a good job. We're on the right track. I feel like we're going in the right direction. But where I'm going with this is, you know, whether it's just talking about the stuff with our kids, if we're not doing a perfect job, whether it's personal issues that we had in the past and we really haven't reconciled those either internally or with somebody we hurt, whatever it may be. I think that's one thing that we've all got in common. We're all works in progress. But what do you say, especially to parents of teens in this situation, what do you say or maybe what do parents need to say to their kids when a line has been crossed or a mistake has been made sexually? Like how do you how do you love on that kid? How do you meet them where they are and bring them back and let them know that, hey, there's still a reset button? Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing is to remember that we image God to our to our children. You know, the, especially the Father is the icon of the Heavenly Father, and they see in us an image of the Father, His mercy, His tenderness, His compassion, His forgiveness. And what's so important is that we take an interest in their whole life, not just the dysfunctional aspects of it. So if I'm getting on my kid when his report card's bad, I'm getting on him when he's got this girlfriend and she doesn't seem like the right one, and I'm always harping on the negatives, the kids are going to build up walls. They're going to check out a little bit because we need to take an interest in their whole life because if we talk to them about everything, they'll be more willing to talk to us about specific things, anything. And so I think it's just so important that we make sure that our conversations with them are balanced and not just honing in on now you need to do your homework and now you failed at this and now you should have you shouldn't have swung at that ball. It was below your knees. You know, that was definitely not a strike. And, you know, they just need to make sure that we're praising them and affirming them and building them up more than we're criticizing them because otherwise I think they'll cave in because, I mean, junior high and high school, this is a ruthless and kind of scary time in life. I mean, the your seventh grade daughter, the girls she thinks are best friends forever at eight in the morning or can be her arch enemies by three in the afternoon afternoon it's a scary time in life that's why the home needs to be a haven of affirmation and praise and you know maybe if you're a catholic family go to confession once a month together as a family because it's a great time to examine your conscience because if you don't think you sinned a lot 
you got four people next to you that are going to give you a litany of your imperfections <laughs> for the last 30 days without hey, missing Joey, any of them. What did I do last week? And it's so good for the kids to see, ooh, you know, even dad needs to tell his father in heaven he's sorry. Even mom needs to tell her mother the church she's sorry. So we're imaging that forgiveness. Instead of expecting them to always know how to apologize, we're showing them how to apologize to each other and ultimately to God. I know you speak to large crowds. You're getting ready to speak to like another thousand kids here later this morning. But you also hear, and you mentioned this earlier, you also hear directly from the kids. You hear some of their stories. Can you share a story where something that you did really resonated with a kid and it changed their life and you're going, I'm 100% confident that I'm doing the work that I need to do? Well, just a few weeks ago, we were in Philadelphia for the World Meeting of Families, and a seminarian came up who's soon to become a priest, and he said, I just want to let you know that when I was 15 years old, I was into a lot of bad stuff, doing some really bad stuff with girls and drinking and drugs and just, just everything bad you could imagine. I was getting ready to join a gang in New Jersey, just a really bad neighborhood I lived in, lots of violence, and and he said, my sister, he said, I never listened to her, but for some reason I listened to her this day, and she said, you need to listen to this chastity talk. So I watched your chastity talk, and he said, after that, I decided, you know, my life's going in the wrong direction. I need to get my junk together. I didn't join the gang. I quit, you know, sleep around, doing all this stuff, and I eventually heard a call to the priesthood, and now I'm in the seminary to become a priest. And, you know, I know the fruits of these conversions that I see, because I get to see this stuff on a weekly basis of kids decades after the talk still living it out, and just miraculous conversions happening at the talk. And I know where it's coming from, because I have thousands upon thousands of people praying for every presentation I'm giving. I send out posts on our Facebook and Twitter that goes out to 130,000 people all mm-hmm. around the world. Hey, I'm giving a talk in five minutes. Please pray. And, and I know the, the conversions that are happening are not as a result of good jokes and motivational speaking, because this is a spiritual battle, and uh, the people on the front lines aren't the speakers, it's the intercessors. And because I have them marching ahead of me, invisibly, so to speak, it's opening these hearts, it's creating conversions. And so without them, I mean, I told a priest once, I said, Father, I feel bad. I, feel, I said, I feel like I'm buying souls with other people's money, you know, like all of these conversions. I know it's not coming from me, you know, so, so to me, that, that is the the, the fruit of any changes we're seeing is, be, and I would ask your listeners, please pray. I mean, today we've got a Catholic high school, you know, over a thousand students, bringing them all together. Then we're doing a public school. Then we're going over to Paducah. We're doing cool. two talks tonight, another school there tomorrow. Then it's off to El Paso and Illinois and then Australia and then Pennsylvania for the rest of the school year, um, you know, throughout the, you know, with a couple breaks in between. Um, so I just ask your listeners, please pray for all the students that we speak to and all their families because that's where conversions are going to come from. Awesome. Hey, before we move on. I've got to ask, is there anything that above average parents, is there anything that we specifically need to be doing with our kids with, with either talking to them or just setting them up for success later on down the road? What do we need to be doing when we look at our big families? Because we talked about this earlier, kind of off mic, we're stretched a little bit thin. If we just had one or two kids, we'd have a lot more time to devote to that kind of thing. What do we need to be doing as parents of big families? Um, one thing I would say, create room for silence in your own life. I know there's enough lack of silence when you have a big family, but as much as you're able to, whether it's in the car when you're by yourself after dropping a kid off here or there, to try to make room for silence because it's in that silence that God can really speak to us, you know, through prayer to kind of direct where our family should be headed. And because, you know, there's a lot of trials, there's a lot of crosses, there's a lot of sufferings, and it's messy, you know, but it's beautiful at the same time. So just try to carve out times for silence in your own life and, 
and then di- different inspirations will God will put on your heart. Um, so maybe you know for for Lent, just give up any noise in the car whatsoever. No radio. No, uh, you can listen to this podcast, but other than that, Thank no you for other. That yeah, that's, nothing that's else. Good. Maybe listen to. Um, and 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 you'd be surprised <laughs> when things come to your heart. And so you know maybe God's going to put on your heart. Hey, start early when it comes to chastity. Give them books like The Princess and the Kiss or The Squire and the Scroll. These are little storybooks you could read to a three or four or five year old kid that don't get into the birds and the bees, but lay down the framework for the gift of purity. So then they start young, and as they get older, you can build upon that. Love it. That's cool. All right, so as our time starts winding down, mm-hmm. we, we've talked about some good stuff, we've talked about some heavy stuff, but I want to get to know Jason a little bit more in the, in the way that you tick. You talked about books a second ago, mm-hmm. but maybe aside from the books that would be great for three and four-year-olds, mm-hmm. what are some of the books that, besides your own, of course, mm-hmm. because you've got 10, 11 books, you've, you've got a bunch out there with your own name on there, what other books would you put on somebody's must-read list? It could be faith, it could be fiction, it could be business. What, what are some must-reads for Jason? Uh, there's a book called Soul of the Apostolate that I really like. It's by a man named Jean-Baptiste Chattard. So Soul of the Apostolate. And it's basically, if anyone's doing any form of ministry, and as a, as a father or mother, that's our ministry. You know, our vocation as a parent, this is our ministry. This is our apostolate. Um, and so Soul of the Apostolate really is a good kick in the pants in terms of the fruitful of your apostolate is totally contingent upon how united we are to Christ, that any good thing is going to come from him ultimately. And so it really is trying to wed us more tightly to him. So Soul of the Apostle is a great book. I also like from John Paul II, Love and Responsibility. That's kind of the foundation of my entire ministry. All right. and, and it's a dense book. There's some tough philosophy in there. And once you wade through the first through, it lightens up a little bit and then gets a little easier. But Soul of the Apostolate is an absolute home run. Love and Responsibility is great. And the Bible's not bad either. So I'd recommend picking that up and, you know, making sure you're carving out time each evening to maybe take a, go- a chapel or the gospel to run through that and see what God's saying to you through that. We talked about your family, you and Kristalina. Do you guys have a favorite family tradition? It might be holiday related. It may be something that you guys do on a weekly basis. Do you have any traditions where you're like, this is, this screams the Everett family? Well, chaos kind of screams the Everett family. I'm trying to think of one <laughs> in particular. I mean, we li- we li- we just moved to Denver, and so we've, a couple years ago, so we've got a tradition of like every time when the Aspens are changing, we'll get in the van and we'll drive up into the mountains and we'll just take the kids to see all the, the leaves bursting into gold throughout the mountaintops. And so we've we've started that as an annual tradition. We've done that for four years in a row. And so that's a, it's a beautiful little thing. But, you know, we try to you know, carve out little stuff, little stuff, like I said, writing down all the little jokes that the kids say immediately. So that's a little tradition. So, you know, we're, we're a young family, so we're, we're still picking up on new, new stuff. Fun, fun. It says in your bio that you've spoken to over 1 million people, which is astonishing. But of all the speaking engagements that you've done, which one stands out the most? Wow. It's tough to say. You know, what's, what's interesting is that no matter where we've spoken, whether it's South Africa or some inner city school, um, the kids are so hungry for this message. I mean, I'll speak to correctional facilities. I remember speaking at a correctional facility in San Diego for girls who were leaving the sex trade industry who had been caught in that. And, uh, wow. you know, teen prostitutes and gang members and stuff like that. And and you could just hear a pin drop. And, you know, I remember walking into one of these homes. It was a home for unwed moms and moms that were in some difficult situations. And the, the, the woman who kind of ran the house, she said, just so you know, 
uh, the girls don't want you here. They don't want to be here. They don't want to listen to you. They said one of the girls even asked, is the speaker today a man? Because if he is, I don't want to be in the room. She said, well, whenever we have Bible studies, if it's a man leading it, she won't even come. She doesn't want to be in a house if there's a male in that house because she's just been so hurt. You know, and I walked in and immediately could just feel the chill in the air of just the, the coldness because all of these women had been so betrayed and hurt by the men in their lives. And the last thing they need is some guy showing up telling them how to live. And so, you know, I walked in and just started to tell my story and my wife's story and her conversion and everything. And, and then they, you see them just start to open up. And afterwards, the mother, the moderator who ran the house said, did you hear the shell crack? You know, because afterwards, the girls were coming up and bringing me their babies and oh, getting selfies beautiful. with them in their pregnancies. And we were all hugging and talking and praying. And it, it was just so beautiful. And it was the same thing at that, you know, that correctional facility for the women leaving the sex trade industry. There was one girl in the back that no matter what joke I said, she wouldn't break a smile. I mean, she was stone cold. And then maybe 45 minutes into the talk, I just said something and she just burst into laughter. And then after that, she just softened up. And, uh, you know, and afterwards I got letters from these girls, you know, in the mail from, you know, their facility just saying, I want to stop prostituting. I want to start over after your talk. I want to have that love. So it's so beautiful to see that God's plan for human love is what the human heart longs for. And when they see it, lust just looks boring. You know, all the enticements of the devil, they realize that it promises us everything and then it delivers nothing. That's wonderful. Uh, Jason, we've got a lot of people who listen to the show, especially with the big family stuff. A lot of people are like, oh, I've got some great stories to tell. And there are a lot of people out there nowadays who want to be authors, who want to be speakers. They're looking at somebody like you. You've you've done amazing stuff and you're doing work that impacts people. What would you say to somebody who wants to become an author or wants to become a speaker? Yeah, well, one, just bloom where you're planted. That if, if God's got you in a community that needs this message, start there. Because, you know, we all want to be bigger. We all want to, I want to speak, I spoke to a million, I want it to be five million. I want to be 10 million. I want 10,000 billion YouTube views and all this. But, you know, I'll say that to God, like, I want to speak to a billion. And they're like, okay, well, do you want to fast for a billion? And I'm like, well, no, that, that kind of makes me hungry. Let's do the motivational speaker gig, you know. And we've got to remember that if you really want to reach that many people, you can reach that many today through prayer. Like, do you really have an apostolic heart? Well, if, if we do, then that needs to show first in our own interior lives. Like, am I really praying for conversions ardently, or am I just wanting to get on stage and write books and do that stuff? Because God doesn't measure the fruit of our apostolates by how many likes a video gets on Facebook or whatever. Sure. Like, it's a much more an interior thing. And so bloom where you're planted and see what, what doors God opens for you. Because maybe a local church or youth group could use an additional core member. Start there. Everyone I know who's in this ministry was doing it for years and years and years, free of charge, volunteer, out of the love of their heart, long before anyone gave them a penny for something they wrote or something they spoke. And so just make sure that you're pouring yourself out in your local area. And as a friend of mine said, keep your primary focus on your family, because he said a priest told him, don't become a streetlight only for your house to become dark. And so we've got to be make sure yeah. that God's calling us to sainthood in our vocations, not outside of them. Anyone can be a saint in front of a microphone, you know, but can I be a saint when nobody else is listening but my family members? That's what God's calling us to. And in the end, that's going to be the best gift we can give to the church. Wise words, man. That's great. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for doing work that has such meaning and has such impact on lives. We dove deep. I think with you on a lot of these topics, you mentioned your wife's conversion story. There's a lot there that we probably didn't touch on. What are some resources where somebody can find out more about what you guys have going on and your story and that kind of thing? Where where would you point people? If you just go to the website, chastityproject.com, you can... Uh, you know, click on the buttons at the top, our Facebook, our Instagram, our YouTube, click on there to go to those places. On our website, Chastity Project, you could also 
get the books, the DVDs, the resources, read hundreds of articles. Um, every book that we create and publish is $2 or less. So if it's a 300-page book, it's $2. If you get it a box at a time, because we want you to get these things $2 at a piece, give them out at your youth group, give them out in your church. You know, you are the apostles that can bring this message to kids that'll never show up to one of my talks. And that's why we just want to make the resources. I mean, the CDs are $3. If you get more than 10 at a time, they're $2 a piece. They're all free to burn. Yeah, it's about so the information. Yeah, it's the, it's, the mess, it's the mission that we have is just make it as cheap as we can and then just get it out to whoever needs it. So cool. So cool. Jason, thank you so much. Thanks for your time. I know you got a lot going on. You've, you've got a packed schedule. So to be able to carve out a little bit of time for this, I really do appreciate well, it. You're you doing, you're doing awesome work. Right. This has been a blast. Uh, thank you. Thanks, man. God, God bless you. You too. Well, and that's it. I hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear what you've got to say about the show. Please share your feedback with us on this episode or any topic or guest suggestions you may have. You can connect with us at AboveAverageShow.com or leave us a message on Facebook. Just go to AboveAverageShow.com slash Facebook to check out our page there. Besides Jason, thank you so much to Gina with Chastity Project and the staff of the Diocese of Owensboro who helped us arrange this meeting. Also, thanks to everybody at the Carmel Home for hosting us. And lastly, to Drew Hardesty, the bearded servant, who took some great photos of the interview. You can see these photos at AboveAverageShow.com slash 29. And you can also check out Drew's work at Facebook.com slash Bearded Servant. Thank you so much for listening to Above Average. We'll see you all next time.